Happy Wednesday, welcome to a midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary. I think I said that weird. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. If you have any thoughts on the show, you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the show at CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. Going to be a quick one today. Um, Would love to give you a professional sounding reason. It's because they're doing work on the roof and it will sound terrible if um, I go much longer than absolutely necessary today. But still want to cover a few things from the world of sports. We'll start in the Canadian Football League as the decision was made today by the Hamilton Tiger Cats that Dane Evans will be the quarterback in the 108th Grey Cup. This seems like the obvious move. For, for Hamilton to make. Jeremiah Masoli struggled in the last game. Dane Evans was an absolute boss. So it makes sense that Evans is going to be the guy that comes in as Hamilton looks to pull off the upset in the in the Grey Cup against the heavily favored Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, I haven't looked at the line just yet. I don't know if it's been posted or not. Um... This is just, it is it is the right move to make. And again, it's something we talked about before. Like Evans, Evans can make all the throws for sure. Like that, that is, that, that is not something that I think we need to, to, to worry about. But I, I think he can be accurate enough in the short underneath passing game, which as we talked about before, I believe is how you beat Winnipeg, is at least how you attack Winnipeg. I, I don't, I don't know how you actually go about beating this Blue Bombers team because they are really, really good. And I am sorry if you can pick up all this noise in the background. Yeah, Winnipeg three and a half point favorites against Hamilton. For the Ticats, Evans gives them, I think, the best chance to win in this game. It also creates an interesting discussion going into next year, because you look at the teams that are quarterback needy for next year. You have BC's probably going to need a guy. Edmonton might think they need a guy. It'll be interesting. I would imagine Bo is back in Calgary. Uh, Saskatchewan feels like they're good. Um, Winnipeg feels like they are good. Montreal's probably good. Toronto... I don't think Toronto's as good as Toronto thinks they are at quarterback, but Toronto's probably okay. Hamilton is who we are discussing. And then there's Ottawa, who desperately needs a quarterback. So I, I wonder if it is either Ottawa or BC for for, for Jeremiah Masoli. And we, we could go over the pros and cons of that in the offseason. But the, the other interesting, I think, dilemma now for Orlando Steinauer and for Hamilton, if Evans gets off to a slow start, how long is that leash? That that's something I'm going to be very interested in. And obviously, for for Steinauer, I mean, his best case scenario is it doesn't matter how long the leash is going to be. Um, Dane Evans just goes in, gets the job done, and the Tie Cats are hoisting the Great Cup for the first time uh, in the 2000s, as they are the only team who haven't been able to do that yet. The teams have literally formed and won Great Cup since the last time Hamilton won, which really caught me off guard, by the way, because they've had some like they had some really bad teams there, but they've also had some pretty good squads, especially over the last half decade or so. And so for them to not have a championship when Ottawa does, a little surprising, I, I will admit that. On the Winnipeg side of things, that there's talk about, well, how, how much of a game-time decision really was Andrew Harris. Who cares? That doesn't matter at all. I think it's a silly discussion. You had to be at least game-planning a little bit for Andrew Harris. And what? What were you going to do differently, Saskatchewan, in the week leading up to the West Final if you knew 100% Andrew Harris was going to be in there. Like, a, something short of loading your dudes up with steroids so that they could tackle him easier. I don't know if there's a whole lot more Saskatchewan could have done. 
we'll, we'll get a bit more into this Grey Cup as we get into the Friday show, the, the football and fights show. Um, but th this is a matchup that I find really intriguing because I think there are ways that both teams can win this game. When we look at interesting matchups, the one that intrigues me the most is the success of Andrew Harris going up against a front seven of... Um, of Hamilton that limited William Stan, uh, Stanback a couple weeks ago, right? Like he he was absolutely shut down and he, I think, should win the MOP this year. So I, I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be the key matchup as we get ready for the Grey Cup on Sunday from Hamilton. We'll also see what that, that home crowd um, has to say about things. That, that'll be very intriguing. Hamilton knows very well what it's like to be on the wrong side of playing at a Grey Cup where the, the host team is there back in 2013 with Saskatchewan. Moving into the NFL, Monday Night Football proved to be uh, the end of my, uh, I don't think the Patriots are actually that good take. Uh, the Patriots are for real. There's a couple of things coming out of this that I want to discuss. One, Buffalo so clearly got outcoached in that game. Th there was a couple of decisions that I just, I, I could not stand. A, they had the choice to take the ball in the second half or to get the wind in the fourth quarter. The way that game was going, you needed to get the wind in that fourth quarter at all costs. Like this is this is something that really frustrates me with coaches because you can we we talked about it a little bit when the Raiders played Kansas City, and it's it's interesting that this is coming up again. Um for for Kansas or for the Raiders, they did not adjust their defensive game plan and Kansas City killed them. NFL coaches are so stuck in their ways. It's a rain or shine, wind or whatever. This is the best way to win a football game. And we've seen the Patriots adapt so many times. And that's why they are so good. There isn't a situation that they don't feel they can change, uh, that they can adapt to and that they can win in. And Buffalo just felt like they could go in. Like they didn't obviously push the ball down the field as much, but it was still just a lot of handoffs into the backs of offensive linemen. Like Josh Allen, th there needed to be a few more design runs in, in Josh Allen's repertoire. But the thing that drove me up the wall was the lack of urgency in that third quarter. And it was... <clears throat> I was thinking of it while I was watching this game. Y'all clearly haven't watched the Canadian Football League before because there's a bunch of times that wind has been specifically in Saskatchewan. Um, not so much now in the new stadium, but there was a lot of times where wind was such a factor in those stadiums that in your last quarter with the wind, it basically turned into the fourth quarter. I thought Buffalo needed to take much more advantage of the opportunity with the wind at their back, use a little bit more of the no huddle, use a little bit more of that hurry up offense and try to work your way down the field to create an opportunity when you have the wind at your back. They're just in both the first and the third quarter, there was not nearly enough of that done for for Buffalo. The Patriots, the punchline is obviously they get a win while only throwing the ball three times. His um NFL next gen stat page for Mac Jones is hilarious. But when you look at the Patriots and the Bills. I don't think either team is built to go all the way this season. Um, we'll start with the Bills. It's clear the running game is a major issue. And again, the the NFL is certainly trending more pass happy, and we'll talk about that with the Patriots in a second. But when you seal games away, it has to be with the run game. And I just don't know, like up up by four with five minutes left, do they have the run game to be able to really close out those close playoff games when you're going up against, and again, we're not talking about some great defenses here, but when you're going up against Baltimore and Kansas City and the Chargers and Cincinnati, we saw with the Patriots, you can't do it. So can you 
convincingly put these games away when you have a quarterback whose accuracy issues have crept back a little bit and you have a running game that you can't rely on. And for the Patriots, the opposite is true. We, we have established they can run. They, they have certainly established the run in New England. The thing now, going up against, again, Baltimore, Kansas City, the Chargers, um, Buffalo again in like regular weather. If you're down 10, can this passing offense get you back into it? Can you rely on Mac Jones to get you into a playoff game? And so I, I just feel like on opposite ends of the spectrum, both of these teams have really shown over the last little bit that they are not ready to take that championship step. Obviously the Patriots have the coach and that can help with a lot of things, but I just don't feel like there is that chance to to really take that next step with either of these teams. When you look at the Patriots and the, the offseason that they had, they went out and spent like they have never spent before, as Bill Belichick was clearly pissed at how the season went, both for him and then with how well things went for Tom Brady at the end there. So, um... I just, one of the things that fascinates me about sports, and we've talked about this on the show before, the team building aspect of things. And for the Patriots, they are really showing how you need to take advantage of having your starting quarterback on a rookie contract. I've said before, I, I always hate, oh, just draft a quarterback and then build a good team around him and off you go. Well, a lot of teams have tried, you know, like there were five quarterbacks drafted in the first round this year. Only one of them is having a whole lot of success. And I understand you want to ease young quarterbacks in, but when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract compared to some of the other giant contracts in the league, I, I truly feel it is the most important piece, but I, I almost feel like drafting the quarterback needs to be the last piece. Like you need to be ready to hit the ground running with that guy. And now generally, if you are in the first overall position to draft a quarterback, odds are you aren't ready. Uh, right? Like you don't have the rest of the team around you. And so I'm not saying Jacksonville should pass on Trevor Lawrence because you don't have the rest of the team around you, but you need to have a plan in place to be able to elevate that quarterback. And that's what the Patriots did so, so, so well. You have a young quarterback. I, I still question some of his abilities, but you, you have a quarterback who is obviously proficient in the underneath passing. What do you do? You go get him a couple of tight ends and you get a defense so that he doesn't have to, to worry about coming back down 21 to 10 in the second quarter. The Patriots have done the absolute perfect job of this way of building a championship team. Draft your quarterback and then put a take advantage of the salary cap savings and build a strong team around him. I I just you you certainly don't see that in Chicago. You certainly don't see that with the Jets or with the um with, with Jacksonville. And now the Giants are probably starting it over again because they didn't do that effectively enough around Daniel Jones. Now that I think they also picked the wrong guy in Daniel Jones, but when you are looking at this way of building a team, once again, incredibly frustratingly enough, the Patriots have done it perfectly. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. And you can find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. In the NBA, we are getting to the time now where trade talk starts to get really fun. After December 15th, 
the you are open to a, another realm of possibilities when it comes to trading players that were signed and things like that. And a couple of names are coming around. Miles Turner is the one that intrigues me the most. And when you look at it from a Raptor perspective, which is where my eyes are always going to go, he fits so many needs. He's another distance shooter that this team can build around. But most importantly, he is a rim protector that this team just has none of. And I know there are some saying that Sabonis would be a better fit maybe with this team and how they are looking to be built. But I think the reason that he fits in with how they are built makes him not the right guy. Like, I, I think you need, not that, like, you're not bringing in Antonio Davis here. Um, he, he's not just like a big lumbering big man. All due respect to Antonio Davis, fantastic player, one of my favorite rappers of all, Raptors of all time. I'm sure he could be a wonderful rapper as well. But anyway, Miles Turner, because his skill set is so unique to anything the Raptors have, it makes him that much more intriguing. The problem that I have with where the Raptors are at right now is if you're going out and making a trade for Miles Turner, there's no one I want them to give up that it would take to get a Miles Turner, right? Like, I don't want them to trade Siakam. I don't want them to trade Scotty Barnes. I don't want to trade OG. I don't want to trade Fred. So it's like, would Utah Wantanabe and a few picks work out for you? But then is Toronto really in a spot where they want to trade a bunch of picks away, right? Like, so Toronto is in a weird spot right now when it comes to what they want to do um, because you have kind of a core there. And it's it's kind of back to 2016 um, and that era, basically pre-Kawhi, where you are looking at a, a club that is just a star away from really making that big next step. And I don't think, well, while I like Miles Turner a lot, I think Miles Turner takes this Raptors team from an above 500 or from a 500-ish team to a team that's competing for like sixth in the East. He is not like that big home run swing that, okay, now we got that dude. But I, I just think he fits with the Raptors so well, it's just the opportunity cost that might make this one a little bit, or not the opportunity cost, the literal cost that it'll take that makes this one just maybe a little bit out of reach. The Damian Lillard conversation, I think, is fascinating because he is a player that I think can be a difference maker. And there are so few of those guys in the NBA. And Portland has him right now and they don't know what to do with it. Do you sign him to the extension that he wants? And all of a sudden, like, do you have a John Wall contract on your hands? And then if you do that, you kind of need to build a winner around him, right? And I, I don't know, I don't know what to do with Portland. It's clear what's happening there isn't working. And the fact that they went back into the season with just kind of the same team is insanity to me. In my opinion, Portland kind of needs to go for it. We've talked about the West before. There are two clear teams at the top with... Um, with Golden State and with Phoenix. And then after that, there's a lot of room there. And if Portland, they make the most sense in a Ben Simmons trade because you have Dame Lillard who can handle a lot of the ball handling responsibilities and kind of the, the distant shooting stuff. Ben Simmons clogging the lane, I, I don't think kills you in that way. And for Philadelphia, I think there are pieces that, there are pieces that Portland can provide that would help you out. Now, the collapsed lung with McCollum is extremely scary and would certainly throw a wrench into things. And I don't think a Nurkic deal really makes a whole lot of sense there. So a wrench has been thrown in. But I just, I like the player a lot. And I don't want to talk poorly about Damian Lillard. But an extension to the level that he is discussing scares the hell out of me. Because a couple of years ago... I liked John Wall a lot as a player. And then that extension, basically like it's a, a marker of before and after. Now there's not the obvious injury concerns that 
Wall had that, uh, like, Lillard just does not have those. But I would still be very, very concerned about giving a smaller guard in his 30s that kind of money when you are looking at, at building a, a championship team. Portland has a very important decision to make, and the more I talk through it, the more it's the more it seems to me like it's time for a new era in Portland. Uh, they got close in the West Final. What an interesting um, NBA championship that would have been with the Raptors against Portland with nine people watching in the States. But... I I think Portland's time has come. The problem is you're not like how many more Dane Lillards are you going to get? Guys who have embraced that city. And that is the extra layer in this whole thing. Damian Lillard embraced being a Portland trailblazer. He embraced being a member of that community on a, a small market team where you're not attracting big name free agents to. And the thing that another thing that concerns you from Portland is you had one of those guys who could be one of those recruits and you still couldn't get anyone. And that, that has to be a, a real kick in the teeth for Portland. The, this would be a scary time to, to go into a rebuild for Portland, knowing that you were so close with a star player who loved your team. But from a basketball standpoint, it, it just might not be feasible now. You've probably heard throughout the show that the guys on the roof are still going. So we will bid you adieu today. Thank you very much for listening again. Rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. Tell your friends and they can tell their friends. Find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. And you can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. One more show coming up, planning for a big one on Friday. So I will talk to y'all later. I'm out. <laughs>